Welcome to Deconstructing Management, a podcast made by college students for college students. We've interviewed the chapter authors of the OpenStax Principles of Management textbook with the intention of bringing each chapter to life. Our goal is to make learning management not suck. Now let's learn a little bit about the interviewee for this chapter. Today we are discussing Chapter 13 on Leadership with Kimberly Carlson. Carlson is an Associate Professor of Practice and Management and the Director of the Business Leadership Center at Virginia Tech. Along with teaching management and leadership, she is also a CEO and co-founder of Tractor Strategic Partners, a boutique consulting practice. Kimberly has been an influential leader and is here to share the knowledge she has gained through her years of experience. I'd love to start out with just a simple question. Why is leadership important? So I would say that leaders really help create a direction for people to work towards. And if you don't have that direction, you might not know which, which way to go. And so if all the team members are going in different directions, you're not actually going to be as productive. You might solve your goals. You might accomplish what you're trying to do, but it's not going to be as productive or as effective as you could if the leader was there to give direction and to help the followers. What is the, the nature of leadership and like the leadership process as a whole? Good question. I would say there is this interaction between leader, follower, and situation or context is what the, what the chapter called it. I truly believe in that. And leadership sits in the middle. So you don't have leadership without the followers. You don't have leadership without considering the context. And so understanding the people that you're working with and the context, the context or situation would be all those elements that are going to help your project be successful or help you accomplish your goals. And so for me, the leader, that, that process is understanding who the followers are, what are their skill sets, what are their interests, how are they motivated? It takes a long time, especially if they're really big team, but understanding all those ins and outs and how people work differently is important but also understanding all those elements of the context. So what are your goals? What's your timeline? What are some resources that you have available to you? What are some external factors? Maybe it's not even, ex it's external to your organization, but also external to the team within the organization that may inhibit and challenge or that may enhance the process um, of accomplishing your goals. And so that is really how I look at leadership. What are some like trait perspectives on a general leader? Like what makes a good leader? For me, this is the part of the chapter that I disagree with a little bit. I, everybody has traits. Everybody has personality uh, characteristics. Traits are things that make you who you are, right? So your personality or your inherent abilities, some things that you can do. Now, there are some, I will agree, that help that people are naturally drawn to. So say um, someone who's charismatic or who just care, likes people, right? They're just, they're just nice people. They're going to attract people and you're going to be able to influence them more. So I do agree with that, but I don't, I don't think that that's what makes leadership. You can, you can leverage that, but you could also not use your natural personality traits, you know, that you're a kind or charismatic person to be, you could still be a bad leader even though you have those traits. And so to me, it's really looking at what are, I take a competency-based approach to it. So what are knowledge, behaviors, or skills that you can practice 
and that the, this kind of performance standard. So what is it that if you are perfect at it in this situation with these followers, what would that look like? Right. And so taking a competency-based approach is what I do for leadership. Leveraging your traits, leveraging your natural abilities to then l learn something or to practice something and get better at it. So the reason I teach leadership is I think people can learn it. They can grow and develop. And so it's not just related to your personality or your, your traits that you, you are born with or that you've developed over time. Only focusing on traits limits us and encouraging other people who don't necessarily have those traits and, and enhancing them or empowering them to be leaders. Take that introverted, extroverted kind of personality trait, right? A lot of people say, oh, I can't, I can't do that because I'm introverted. No, in fact, you're more introverted people are, they, they just need to get their energy from other ways and, and recharge, but they can be very, they can be great leaders. So when we only focus on traits, we push aside so many people who can be great leaders. And so I really encourage people to empower some of these more quiet people, introverted people, people who uh, have these great qualities, this great knowledge, this great skill or ability that haven't been elevated to leadership roles in, in the past. I never thought of it like that. Leadership can be learned and it's not just like a natural thing. So you could have any quality, but if you're taught to be a good leader, you can be a good leader, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now you're going to be comfortable doing some things over others with traits or qualities or, or inherit uh, a bill. But I, I teach my students, you can make choices. They might be uncomfortable, but you could still make a choice uh, because it's the right thing to do with the people that are in place in the situation that you're in. You might naturally then bounce back. So I am actually naturally introverted. And it takes a lot out of me to go to class. But most people in class don't know that I'm naturally introverted. So I go home and I need to recharge. I need, I need quiet time. I need to just be, sit with my thoughts or just like totally zone out sometimes where I don't want to think about anything. And it's just, a, a, I've trained myself where I've gotten comfortable in that situation because I need to be what people would consider more extroverted. That makes me wonder. So and if... You're coming into leadership with a completely different quality than someone else. I mean, we could go with the basic introvert versus extro extrovert. How would that affect like a behavioral approach to leadership? Is there better approaches for someone who is naturally introverted and naturally extroverted? Or is it kind of like a one size fits all type of thing? Oh, it's definitely not a one size fits all. And I think it goes back to thinking about that Venn diagram and you're your chapter didn't have it as a Venn diagram, but it's basically the same thing that influence between leaders, followers and situations. And so really understanding those different circles or elements of the influencing process, it's important. So typically introverts are going to, and I'm generalizing here, going to think a lot and they're not going to be the first ones to jump in and have, you know, and say things. They're going to think about the situation. They're going to think about what's going on. What are all the pros and cons in it? And typically it's internally in their thought process, or maybe they write it down and they take a while to come to, or to come to a decision or to come to telling their team what's going on. So I, some situations that's very important. 
other situations, it's not, you know, it's a crisis situation. You've got to figure out how to get your team to safety because a storm is coming through, right? Or your a storm is coming through and your manufacturing facility is right in the middle of this, this storm. And what are you going to do? You don't have time to sit and think with your thoughts, right? So you need to then really jump in, think through. Now, hopefully you plan some contingencies out. What happens? We know our manufacturing facility is in the middle of a storm prone area. What is our, what is our risk management plan? And, and hopefully before that happens, you can, you can plan some things out. Now, as we've learned today that flexibility and, and agility uh, are important. And so understanding that sometimes you just got to make quick decisions and be more directive towards people. In general, I would say a lot of our decision depends on what industry you're in. There's a million different styles of leadership you can have then if you're not basing it off of like specific traits, because you can be any type of leader really. But the only, the only one like question I would have on that was how would that affect like the path to leadership? Because if you're a different style of leader than say what's needed for a specific path or a specific approach on leadership. How could you, could you, do you change that? Or I don't know how, how you would like figure that out. Right. And this is where you're talking about the, um, path goal theory. Yeah. Okay. So I mentioned that I take a competency-based approach to leadership. Based. Yes. And in my competency-based approach, and it's all based on, on literature and research, there's seven areas. And they're all interactive. I will get to answering your question just in a roundabout way. I'm going to take a, the long path, Michael. So these seven areas, I tell my students, these, this is a way to have a conversation because some competencies could go in multiple, multiple areas. One of the, there's three areas that really talk about, actually, I would say four of the seven areas are kind of what you're talking about. So first is holistic thinking types of of competency. And here, this is so holistic thinking is seeing the bigger picture and understanding how everything works together. So there's two parts to, there's two kinds of competencies in that systems level thinking. How do the teams work together in the organization? How does the organization fit in the broader environment in which our industry is working? And then future oriented. So this is vision setting, goal setting, or horizon scanning seeing where are the trends in the world and how might that impact what we're doing today. So that's first where you start, understanding just the landscape of your working. And now you're, you've got a particular problem or particular goal because you set it with your team, right? The next three categories, all again, all working together, help you first understand the situation and the, the problem at hand. And I, I Label those creativity and innovation competency. So really exploring the issue at hand before you jump to decisions. So a lot of people, this, uh, this is divergent thinking. So you're asking interesting questions about the problem, trying to, hardly any problems, black or white. So trying to understand all those gray areas, trying to brainstorm solutions to problems. The innovative part, maybe test some some of those solutions out, see if they work. That leads to many different paths you could take to accomplish your goals, right? You've got 20 ideas that are pretty viable in your brainstorming session. You've even tested some of them out. So maybe you've narrowed it down to 10. 
but you still don't know exactly what you're going to do, right, to accomplish your goals. So the third set of competencies I labeled strategic thinking. And this is the opposite of divergent. You're, you're everything that you need to come to a decision. So convergent thinking skills. So this is things like risk management. If we did one thing over another, is it going to cost more money, use more resources, take longer time, et cetera. Matching up resources with the team or the problem. Maybe, okay, we could do this path or this this way, but it's going to cost a million dollars. But if we go this way, it's only going to cost to 750000 For cost savings, we're going to choose that because costs or resources are number one, maybe in that, in that standpoint. Looking at your team. So one team, uh, a set of people might be able to do one way really well, but then it would be a stretch for them to go a different direction or, or solve it in a different way. So looking at your team, what are the strengths and skills of that team? Time management. Organization. So this is where it overlaps a little bit with managers, management. So now you've made your decision. And then the final category of those four that I mentioned is critical analysis. So leaders are, you're in the thick of it, working with your people, but you should also be up here. Have you heard being on the balcony in your class at all? No. So some leadership scholars use that term being on the balcony. You're really up, you know, at that 30,000, 50,000 foot level, looking down, trying to make sure that everything is going well. Is it the right path? Are you going to accomplish your goals? Did you really understand the situation before you jump to decisions? Are you using your resources well? Is there some overlap where you need to pull apart a little bit because for efficiency, that's your goal. So using all of those competencies together, you can determine what path. Now, one of that happens really quickly and sometimes naturally. This is a way where you're deconstructing, right? We're pulling apart the parts to look at it. So I would say some of those really happen unconsciously, but sometimes you really do need to make a decision like, wait a minute, let's not jump to the decision that let's, let's go back and really look at the situation first before we choose which path to go down. I'm just trying to base this all around how, cause I really love that, that opening statement about how you can be a leader no matter what, it doesn't matter what traits you have, but then coming up with certain traits, how would that affect your process to getting that goal? So I, I look at organizational theories and one of my classes in my leadership minor is about organizational concepts. And one of them is a more personal. So they're not all just the organization. So I look at epistemology or ways of knowing. Ways of knowing, similar to biases and perceptions, but not quite. It, it's how you, how you know the world. So if, if everybody's, everybody's walking around with a lens, and it's based on your experience, it's based on your knowledge, it's based on your, your belief system, your values, your community you came from, your culture, all of those things. You're coming to a situation and a problem and a team. And so are all your team members, right, as well. So there's these biases and perceptions, but that's the strengths and skill set. And so you've got to work through those filters. And so you have to set up structures in your team to decide how best to leverage each other, but also make sure you're on the same page. Make sure that what the earlier I talked about how terminology can have different meanings or you use the same meaning with different terms. So same thing. So Jackie and I, or you and my, Michael and I, we might be talking about the exact same thing, but we're getting frustrated because we're using different language. So trying to find the words that you could come together, I call it the, the words we use. What are the words we use in our team or in our organization that makes us understand one another? That will help 
then choose, again, choose the path or choose how you're going to work together. So if I am more extroverted and I realize uh, as the leader, maybe I talk a lot, maybe I jump in and I, one of my jobs as, as a formal leader would be to, wait, what's the, that impact on others who aren't talking as much? How can I empower them to have a voice? And so really understanding those group dynamics and how people are interacting and your impact on others is important. Okay. And that takes, that takes somebody being conscious of that. You have to really read a room. You have to be intentional about that. And I think that a lot of people aren't, which can lead to conflict. Okay. That makes sense. And I, I heard you mention informal and formal leaders. And so I would love to know what's the difference between the two and what type do you find leads like better leadership results? Like which type do you see followers or employees, teammates kind of bonding to more? Sure. So formal leadership is going to, you're going to have a position, right? Or you have resources and informal is everything else. So you can be a leader on day one. My definition of leader, leadership is influencing others to achieve a common goal. Very similar to your chapter on definition of leadership. And so if I am in a team and I am influencing people to achieve a common goal, I, I can be considered a leader in that, at that aspect. Now, I also have to know when to step back and allow others to lead as well. So when to be the follower and when to, to step in is important. So followers are just as important as leaders. Again, it's one third of that Venn diagram. So formal position, informal, everything else as long as you're influencing the team. Now you can also influence both positively and negatively. So understanding, are you helping your team actually achieve those goals or are you putting up barriers and being resistant and not helping the team? So you asked what was more, what was better, formal or informal or, or more effective? I think both of them can be effective. They're really effective if you have both. If you're a formal leader in a position with resources and people like working with you and you can influence them, it's a win-win. If you are in a formal position with resource, resources or um, the chapter talks about coercion as well, or you could take things away. So you could give people bonuses or, or, or you could take things away, like you can not schedule them to work shifts. So now work, therefore they don't get paid. That only goes so far. Right. And so you have to think of other ways that you can motivate and help engage your team members in, in the work that they're doing. And that's where informal leadership comes in. So do they like working for you? Do you have good ideas? Do you have a good vision for the way forward and where you want to go? Do you have some expertise that you can bring to the table? All those powers the ch chapter talked about are helpful as well. Yeah, that, all right, that makes sense. I, I, I didn't even think about that. Having both, yeah, that would totally make sense. Having both would be by far the best. Kind of going off that, I noticed, so there's like two different styles in that sense where it's like informal seems more of like the chapter mentioned, like boss-centered and subordinate-centered leadership styles. Informal seems more like the subordinate-centered, while um, formal seems more like the boss-centered. And I was wondering if you can maybe explain those in further detail, like boss and subordinate centered. And if there's like other leadership styles you find are even more important than that, I would love to hear about those yeah. and maybe the effects of, and how that can affect, you know, the leadership process and how your, you know, team and your 
team followers, whatever term you need, you are using, how that can affect them. Okay. Let me go with your first question. You'll have to remind me yeah, of your sorry. second question. No, that's okay. So uh, the way I took this from the chapter, I, I would use different language. I've never actually seen boss-centered versus um, support center, but what I think it would be very similar to, well, servant leadership would be more subordinate centered. And then some of the, the trade approaches or some of the other where the, where the leader is up front. So I, right. So I would say kind of the boss center focuses on what the leader needs to get the, the job done, whereas subordinate would be what, what do the followers need? Am I interpreting that correctly as you read it from the chapter? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So in that standpoint, I take a follower-centered approach. Now, you still have to have your goals. You still have to have know all of the ins and outs of it. The situation is still a key element in there. But taking an other-centered approach can really help empower your followers to want to be there and to want to meet your goals. When it's all about me or I, there's not much team in that, right? So I've had some supervisors in the past where they're in formal leadership roles. They're really focused on what looks good for them or what looks good for their department. Doesn't make me want to work for them very much when it's all about them. And they were constantly dropping names and they're constantly talking about the reputation of the department, but the underlying subtext is my reputation. Well, that doesn't help me and where I fit into that. Yeah. So when you take an other-centered approach, so you said the subordinate, and personally, I've, I don't like the term subordinate, but I, I would say follower or, or team member approach and put them at the center. Now you're focused in on we and how we can work together, leveraging our strengths and our skill sets, understanding where our weaknesses are and how we can overcome those either together or we need to bring somebody else on. And I, it really helps to empower the team and the whole point of leadership is the team and and accomplishing your goals it's not about what i can do as an individual it's what the team can do together otherwise you wouldn't have followers and leaders it would just be me as an employee have you heard the concept collective intelligence i haven't no okay so this is really what i'm talking about. collective intelligence it's when you get people together they become bigger than the sum of their parts so the collective part is the team and the intelligent part, what they found in research is that it doesn't matter what each individual person, how intelligent they are, or how many skills that they have. If, you, if everybody works together and empowers one another, they will be bigger as a team than each individual. In fact, they have done research that teams of People are, we'll say groups, groups of people who are highly intelligent, have lots of skills, but they're not working well together, are less effective than those who are not as intelligent, not as skilled, has half as many skills. That, that team, if they're working really well together, they can do more, they can reduce more. Yeah, that makes total sense. It kind of, it seems like a, like an I scratch your back, you scratch mine type of thing where it's like. You treat your followers or team members well, and they'll treat you well, as opposed to just making it all about you. Right. And I would, I would push back a little bit. It's not just on treating well. It's how to you and I can work best together. So I, may, I might actually disagree with something that you put on the table. 
but we, but together by having that disagreement and we're still tr simply treating each other well, it's, it's, it's more than just treating each other. Well, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It is really challenging you to be your best self and your challenge in return, you're challenging me to be my best self and together we're better than individuals. Okay. Totally. All right. And so then my next question was, what are some other leadership styles that you find important or that you've seen have worked well in the past? I really buy into, so I mentioned servant leadership. This is Robert Greenleaf's work. It's, it's older. I think he wrote it in the sixties and seventies, but that is, I would never ask you as my follower to do something I wouldn't be willing to do myself. And, and so I'll jump in and, and, and do it. But at the same time, delegating is important as well. He's not not saying delegating, he would take the we-centered approach versus the I-centered approach as well. So I would, I would say I'm a servant leader, wholeheartedly agree with that. Another look at leadership that I really follow is adaptive leadership by Heifetz out of Harvard. Adaptive leadership is looking at very complex problems in our society that we need to solve and how you can help your followers develop the skill sets they need to learn and grow as you're learning and growing or as the, as you're learning more about the situation or the problem. So a lot of times when you go to sit down at a problem and, and solve it, accomplish your goals, you, it's so complex. You don't know, you don't know what you don't know. There's a lot of elements in there. And so as you get more into the problem and, and start pulling back the layers, kind of like an onion, right? Pulling back the layers, you're going to learn more and more, but you're having to solve problems as you go along. So adaptive leadership really helps you to create a growth mindset. That is by Carol Dweck. Have you heard of that term? No, no, I haven't. So Carol Dweck is an, a psychologist who looks at the way children learn. But a lot of people are taking her concepts and now applying it to organizations and to teams. So she said when she talks about a fixed mindset versus a growth mind, fixed mindset, you're really focused on the outcome. And so, for instance, kids want an A or you want an A on your exam, right? That's your number one focus. And so what that does is that starts breaking down your ability to see the process of earning an A and, and you become closed-minded. Growth mindset, on the other hand, you're focused on the process of learning. And if you fail, you think through, you reflect what, it, what happened in that failure process and how can I be better next time? And what she has found is those people who are focused on, those kids who are focused on the process, they end up with A's. The grades improve because they're not stuck. So if, you, if you're only focused on the A in a fixed mindset, you're only focused on the A and you fail, a lot of them become inhibited and don't know where to go from that. Whereas a growth mindset, you're, you're more open-minded and, and wanting to learn from the process. And I think you could add that element to adaptive leadership and really understand that you're learning as you're appealing the onion of the problem, these complex problems. And so you're helping your followers become adaptive to a situation that might be always changing. So those are the kind of the two that I really subscribe to. Otherwise, I would say I take elements of all the others and, and really focusing, like I said, on those followers in the situation and what what each needs.
what kind of makes a leader versus a manager? So in our management theory class, there are, just like your chapter talks about, that there are three or four areas that managers are focused on. Planning, organizing, controlling, but then also leading. So our management class would say leading is part of, of, of management. But just as the chapter says, there's some managers who are good leaders and some leaders who are who are good managers and, and vice versa. There is a difference. So it's it, not everything is management, not everything is leadership. So going back to the definition of leadership, that it's influencing people to achieve a common goal, I would say leadership really focuses on those group dynamics and leveraging those pe everybody's strengths and skill set to accomplish the goals. So influencing people is the key for leaders, whereas managers are making sure their goals are being accomplished. So I would say it's more of really focusing in on the tasks and all of those elements to accomplish the goals. Some scholars believe that managers and leaders are completely different, that they require different personality skills. So if you look back at Selznick is a famous one. It's, there's an article from I think 1972 where he says it's completely different skill sets, different personalities, different, there's four areas and there's no way that people can be a leader and a manager. I disagree with that. I think somebody can be both a manager and leader. In fact, we do need people who are both managers and leaders. And I, I equate it to wearing different hats. So for instance, you are a, I don't know you well, so I'm just going to make assumptions. Excuse me if I'm wrong, but you are a son you might be a brother to, you know, some siblings. You might be the grandson, right? You're a friend. You might be a, a romantic partner to somebody else. So we are at the core the same person, but the way you're going to react or interact with your parent versus your romantic partner versus one day or if you have children as a parent is going to be different. So it's like wearing different hats depending on who you're interacting with. And so that's how I see managers and leaders. You can wear different hats. Sometimes you need to focus on the people and how they're working together, the group dynamics and leveraging each other's skill sets. And sometimes you need to focus more on the task and the day, getting the goal accomplished. And so then moving into the next section, 13.8, I would love to hear what are the characteristics of transactional, transformational, and charismatic leadership? So transactional and transformational gets back to our conversation about formal and informal leaders. Transactional, it is, I implode to you because I can give you something or I can take something away. And it's really, you're going to do it because you want that thing or you don't want to be punished. That can reduce motivation because it makes it external. The chapter talks about intrinsic, so external reason of why somebody does something. Now, sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you have to give people bonuses to do things they don't really want to do. But over time, if that's the only thing that happens, people are a lot of people are going to just disengage from the work that they're doing. What you want to try to do is move people into transformational leadership. And what that does is it takes it this external motivation and moves it internally or intrinsic as the chapter talked about. So you're trying to transform people from external reasons to internal reasons. Now you as a leader can't make somebody internally want to do something, but you could influence those and, and hope that 
they go from money to more internal reasons. Um, they like what they're doing. They're challenged by it. And I think that gets back to Daniel Peake's work in drive, mastery, autonomy, and purpose. So if you can give them those three things, give them the ability to do things in their own way or to make, empower them to make some decisions, the situation might dictate some of that because you might have some legal reasons you can't do that or some policies, some safety things. So then you can focus on, so those three things kind of work together. So if you can't really give somebody autonomy, you could get the mastery. They could learn new skills or get better at something and then really focus on the purpose. Why are they doing it? That will help enhance some of those intrinsic motivators. And then you asked about charismatic. Yeah. So charismatic is, is really focused on the the leader's personality. And through time, we've had tons of charismatic leaders. Look at politicians or Hollywood stars or just community organizers. They can help people understand their vision and, and really want to support that vision. But not everybody's like that. We're not all going to be on the corner with our bullhorn, really engaging people in this emotional problem to solve or this vision that we, we want everybody to engage in. And so how we can leverage that, those who are charismatic versus those who are not so charismatic, how can you lift their skills and their knowledge and the way that they do that in just different ways. So empowering people who are kind of in the shadows of the charismatic leader, I think is important, but don't not have the charismatic leader. If <laughs> somebody can really speak well and communicate and can just rile people up in a good way to support your, your cause, use that. Absolutely. But then if you need somebody to make a great business case and has all the numbers because they've thought it through, put them in front of them people or have them write a white paper. And so using both of them, I think is key. So with that, moving into the 13.9 leadership needs in the 21st century, how do those different approaches impact? Like what's, what would be the best approach in the 21st century, as opposed to like the past? Like if you were to have to pick one of these three, which do you find is the most valuable right now? Yeah. Well, and that's why Hype Fitz created his adaptive leadership is because it's like, hey, look, <laughs> we need to acknowledge that fact that we have so much, so many big, complex problems that we don't know how to solve because we don't know what we don't know. And so we need to learn to grow while we're solving problems. And so that style or that approach, I think, is the most important or for the 21st century as we're going on and realizing that all these systems are interconnected so we fix something, but it might really have this ripple effect either across the organization or across the industry you're working or in the environment. And you might know, be able to, through risk management, you might be able to understand some of those ripples, but a lot of times there's unintended consequences. So that's also understanding that and how, again, flexibility and adaptability, how can you fix those ripples if you need to fix them or, or can you live with some of them? So making those choices. Transactional and trait, we've talked about, we're moving away from that 1930s, 40s, 50s ways of looking at, at this is the 21st century really requires more complex types of, of theories. Now you should know what your traits are. You should know what your strengths are. You should know what you don't know. I, I think of strengths and then weaknesses. And then in the middle, there's these areas development. We can always learn something and we can always practice and, and kind of get better at something. But weaknesses we're never going to be good at 
it's like a triathlete. So a lot of triathletes, they work on the two, two of the three areas that they're really good at and get excellent at them. Now they still train in that third area so that they don't lose time or lose their ability, but they don't focus as much. They really focus on those one or two that they're excellent at. So thinking about leadership in that way, what are your, what are your strengths? How can you leverage those to help develop in your areas of development and then know what your weaknesses are so that if you need that knowledge or that skill and ability, you can bring somebody on your team. And then the leader's there to make sure that everybody is really empowering and leveraging each other as best as they can. That makes sense. Yeah. So with that, I would wonder what other than like, because I feel like adaptability is it's because I've heard you say it a lot. And so I know it's a very important thing to have right now. But other than adaptability and flexibility, what are some of the needs of a 21st century leader? What you need to have to become a leader? Ethical reasoning. You need to know what your values are as a person, but also as a team and an organization or even an industry that should drive everything that you do. And I haven't mentioned it yet, but usually it's the first thing I mention. It is the foundation for every decision and everything that you do in, in an organization. I mentioned the other four competencies, holistic thinking, creativity and innovation, strategic thinking, critical analysis. I didn't mention the last two areas of competencies, which a lot of people think is what leadership is all about and which is working with people and people are different. So those last two competencies, one's communication. Of course, you have verbal, nonverbal, written, but you also have delegation and holding people accountable making sure that everybody's on the same page. I mentioned the words we use. So making sure that the words you use mean the same thing for everybody in your team or in your organization. And then that final category is interpersonal relations. So a leader needs to understand group dynamics. They need to understand and uh, have some intercultural competencies, especially if you're working in a global company. You need to be able to work through uh, conflict, so conflict management. You need to just really empower people. And, and, and so those are, those are the seven areas that uh, I think all 21st century leaders, and not just me, that's all based on literature. So I just took everybody's and, and grouped them in those seven, but every, all the, those categories have 10, sometimes even 20 different competencies underneath each, each of them that I think leaders need. Now, Again, you're going to have your strengths, your weaknesses, and some things that you can get better at. But personally, I don't think everybody's perfect. So there's always something you can learn and always something you can practice and get better at. Kind of like the big final statement, how will this affect college students and how will this affect like the future leaders? What I love about working with college students is you're curious, you're in that opportunity, you're purposely taking classes and involved in programs to learn and to grow and develop. And you might not know exactly where you want to go. And that's the beauty of college is that you are, you're trying to learn where is it that you fit? What are, where are your interests? And what does a future career look like? Or you're just trying to develop some skills in a career. You mentioned that uh, you're, you're currently a manager. I don't know if that's a, an industry you want to st stay in, but if it was using college to, to help develop those skill sets. So I think all of these are important to learn. Thinking about your value set so that ethical reasoning is now and how you want to lead others. So what's your leadership philosophy? 
think that could really help you in the long run of the, here's how I want to work with people. Here's how I want to um, help empower skills that a lot of people don't or have downplayed because maybe they're a little bit more quiet or they just haven't been elevated or are used. And then thinking about if you, I don't know if you do group projects in your college, do lots of group projects in Harvard, <laughs> testing some of these out. How am I going to help our team leverage each other's skills to be the best that we can be while working through some conflict, working through some miscommunication that naturally happen and trying to be a little bit more intentional. Thank you so much. It was, it was really great to interview you and learn from you a lot. Well, thank you. It's nice to meet you both and good luck. You've been listening to Deconstructing Management, a podcast made by college students for college students. Be sure to check the show notes for resources related to this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.